I'll make sure that's going. These things are hard to reproduce, as you can imagine. Luke chapter 1, we're going to follow this account. It's going to actually be our text throughout the Advent season this year. And to get us going, I want to start with a, a, a video, which is very brief, about the specific verses we're going to look at today. Here we go. Um, I want to kick off today uh, a three-part Advent series, and the main theme of that series is based on the three separate times in the Christmas account that angels appeared to human beings. And every time, this is interesting to me, every time they did, they had to say these two words, and it's on the screen, and say it with me, ready, here we go, fear not. Fear not. Every time a human being came in contact with an angel, that's, that was the first message. Don't be afraid. Fear not. And today we're going we're gonna to look at the first person in this historical account that got visited by this celestial being, and her name is Mary. She was a, a young virgin, probably a teenager, between the ages of 14 and 18 years old, which was customary in her time and day. And it's funny, because you look at the Hallmark card, she looks like she's about 32 riding on that donkey, right? No, she was, she was more along the age of Michaela or Alita here today. So I want you to keep that in mind. Really, sometimes we need to just jump out of the Bible and take the glasses off a little bit and realize, what you think about a 14 to 18-year-old young lady that you know? Um, and that's probably where her age fell. And uh, next week we're going to look at, at Joseph. And we're going to, he was older. He was probably in his 30s, early 30s, uh, which again was normal. Um, and next week we're going to look at being afraid of what people think about you. And Joseph had a lot on his shoulders in that area. And then the last week we're going to take a look at the shepherds who were the social outcasts of the group. And... Uh, we're going to look at being afraid of where you stand with God. So between these three groups of people who had the privilege of seeing angels uh, and being visited by angels, we're going to walk through this idea called fear not. But today, we're going to look at this, fear of what God is asking me to do. Now, you have an outline in your bulletin this morning. I'd encourage you to grab that outline and fill that out. Today we're going to look at the fear of what God is asking me to do. Now, let's get real in here this morning. All of you have that friend who, when your cell phone rings and their name comes up, you immediately shoot them to voicemail. 
right? You know what I'm talking about? And it's, it's one of those kind of people that whenever they're calling, you know they want something. They're just kind of annoying that way. You, ever, you all have those? If you're sitting next to that friend, don't look at them right now. But, or, or you're in Walmart, and you're going along, and all of a sudden you see them in an aisle, and immediately you, you make an immediate left and go down the next aisle and say, please, God, don't let me run into them. I don't want to talk to them. They're, they're just kind of annoying people. We've, we've all got, I'm not going to lie to you. I can't tell you how many times I've done that myself to some of you, but I digress. No, I'm kidding, sort of. Uh, but it's true, we, and here's the problem. Here's my concern with that. I think sometimes we treat God like that, really. I think we, we treat God like that annoying friend because we're so afraid that if we get too close to him, he's going to want something from us that we're not willing to surrender. Um, and here's the deal. We want all of the blessings and all of the benefits that come from being close to God, Right? We want the provision, we want the direction, we want the peace, the joy, we want all that stuff, but we don't want to get so close to God, here it is, you ready, that we surrender everything, right? So we want to get just close enough, but not too close, because God, here's what it is, God might mess up my plans, huh? Now, now, now listen, I'm talking to the real people here today. The rest of you can just sit there and polish your halo. You don't even need to listen to the sermon. But, but for the real people today, what we're really afraid of is that God's going to come up in here and he's going to mess with my plans. And I have worked very hard on these plans. And, and I don't want to get close enough to God that he's going to mess with them. Um, some people say that fear is the absence of faith. Fear is the absence of faith. How many of you ever heard that or heard that preached or taught or said in some way? I, I kind of disagree. Matter of fact, I think fear and faith are extremely, they're far more alike than they are different. Matter of fact, I would go so far as to say fear is faith. Hey, preacher, you're crazy. No, just, think, just walk with me for a minute. Fear is faith in the wrong things, right? Because how have I helped you to define faith over the years here as your pastor? Faith is what? Agreeing with God, Okay. But sometimes when we don't agree with God, or can I say when we disagree with God, we're agreeing with something, and it's not God. And if it's not God, then it's the wrong thing, right? And we have faith. We have lots of faith, but we got faith in the wrong thing. Again, I'm, I'm talking to the real people who live in the real world today and want to be honest about what, the stuff that we deal with. Um, you know, and here it is. Fear is faith in the what-ifs. Huh? What if I lose my job? What if the economy crashes? What if Donald Trump wins the election? Too soon? Sorry. <laughs> Sir, I, had that, I went through that. What if, what if I marry a jerk and we have babies and they look like a jerk and I have an eternal reminder that I married a jerk? You know, there's, a, there's so many what ifs. And fear is faith in a worst case scenario. How many of you can relate to, the, to being one of those people that is a, is a, is a glass-half-empty person? I hate to admit it, but I tend to be there. It, I, I don't want to be there. I want to be a glass-half-full guy, but I tend to be a glass-half-empty guy as much as I don't want to be that. So fear is a, is a real thing that I deal with a lot, and it, and it really is true. It's faith in the what-ifs. It's faith in the worst-case scenario. So today, I just want to be honest with you about our fears, and I want you to be honest with yourself. How many of you have fears that are probably irrational, 
Raise your hand. Okay, my daughter, I gave them to you. <laughs> yeah, don't we? I mean, my wife is really good at almost everything. She really is. And one of the things I appreciate about her is that she says she's going to be somewhere, she'll be there. And, and it wasn't all that long ago. For summer, we go on a date every Monday night. And if you're married, you need to do that. Not have to be on Mondays, but you need to date your wife. So every Monday night, we go out together. For whatever reason, um, we went separately, which sounds weird. We drove separately. And I went to this restaurant, and she was supposed to be there at a certain time, and she wasn't there. And uh, I tried texting her. No answer. Tried calling her. Went, I went to voicemail. Maybe I'm that annoying person in her life, come to think of it. <laughs> We, we might need a talk afterwards, honey. And, and so, and, you know, we're, we're, she's like, it's like seven, eight, got the ten minutes and she wasn't there. And she's such a, she, she just doesn't do that. And so what am I doing? I'm running scenarios. Oh, my word, something's happened. Can, can you follow? Have you been there? Oh, she's been in an accident. Oh, my word, my wife is dead. What am I going to do? My life is over. I'm going to have to quit the ministry because she writes my sermons. Uh <laughs> I'm going to have to do her funeral. That's going to stink. Uh, I still got four kids to homeschool. I'm going to have the four dumbest kids in the history of the world because I'm going to have to homeschool them. And I'm going to, I'm going to grow old. I'm going to be an 80-year-old bachelor with stupid kids. And what happened? She's 10 minutes late. And she left her phone at the house with the kids. And, I, and what is it? I have faith in all of these worst-case scenario outcomes. Can anyone relate to that with me this morning? All right, so I got good news for us. Are you ready for some good news? Here it is. It's in the Bible. It's in 2 Timothy, and it's in chapter 1 and verse 7. I think it'll come up on the screen here. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7. Let's read it together, shall we? For God has not given us a spirit of what, church? Fear. fear. Everyone say fear. 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 We don't have that spirit. So by the way, Paul, when panic starts to overtake your logical thinking... Know this, that spirit came from somewhere, but it did not come from God. Amen? That's the first step in dealing with it. That fear is not from my Father. Because God didn't give me a spirit of fear. What did God give me? Let's say it together. But of power and of love and of a sound mind. A sound mind that doesn't put faith in the worst case scenario, but puts faith in the word of God. Are you with me this morning? I don't, and listen, for some of us today, if you're like me, you just need to give yourself permission. I don't have to accept a spirit of fear. I'm going to reject that. You say, well, that's easier said than done. You're right. You're absolutely correct, and I couldn't agree more. So let's turn to a teenage Judean girl to help us. Is that an unlikely place to turn for encouragement in fighting your fear? Probably. When's the last time you went to a teenager for advice? Don't answer that question. I mean, really. But this is where we find our answer today. So here's the question. Let's just lay it out there. Why, why are we so afraid of God's plans? I want you to really... Let that question settle on your mind this morning. Why am I so afraid of God's plans for my life? What's behind that? Now, there's probably a lot of answers. 
And what I want to do this morning in just a short time is to uncover two of probably the most obvious answers or most obvious reasons why we fear God's life, and we'll do it out of Mary's experience. This is picking low-hanging fruit. You don't have to be real smart to see these in this account. But let's look at that this morning. In Luke chapter 1, find your way to verse 26. We saw it on the video this morning. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And a virgin's name was what church? Mary. Just want to make sure you're there. And having come in, apparently Mary did not have a dog like our little schnitzel because no angel would have just come in the house without schnitzel notifying us. I came home 3 o'clock in the morning. I was on a call, a death call from work. I work at one of the local funeral homes. And all, I locked all the doors, and I took the wrong keys, and I had no key to the house. You ever done that? Thank God I have a porch. And thank God I have a teenage daughter who, no matter how many times I tell her to lock her windows, doesn't. And so I opened Ellie's window and started climbing through. Have you ever been attacked by a, by a, a, a miniature dachshund? That dog came right up my leg. I mean, I'm his master. That dog came right up my leg. I'm telling you what, I did not realize how fierce he could be. Apparently, Mary didn't have one of those because that angel would not have come right in <laughs> unannounced. But, I, but here's what it says. It says, the angel comes in. Having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And we read that and we think, oh, man, that is so cool. No, stop. Mary's in bed. She's probably sleeping. And all of a sudden, there's an angel standing at the foot of her bed with this message. Now, seriously, take the Bible glasses off. What do you do? You scream, right? Thank you, memory. Somebody, somebody gets it. You scream, right? If you're my daughter, you reach under the pillow for a little something. <laughs> Right? So this poor lady, I mean, she's in her mind and her own business. And what a strange, what a strange greeting. Now, here's the problem with angels. We have all the wrong view of them. All right? When I say the word angel, you think of this little naked baby with a diaper on and a bow and an arrow. Angels are not Cupid. Matter of fact, I don't want to ruin anybody's Christmas, but I will. There's no girl angels in the Bible. Sorry. My mother collects angels, and 90% of them are girls. I said, Mom, I love you, but your collection's unbiblical. There's no girl angels. They're only men. And they're not just men. They're warriors. They are fierce, warlike creatures of light. Now, let's back up. You're Mary. You're in bed. You're minding your own business. You're dreaming about your upcoming wedding. And all of a sudden, this warrior angel of light with probably a pretty booming voice probably sounds like carl i don't know why the lord didn't give me the carl or mike glaze's voice i need that as a pastor but i didn't get that i got that squeaky little voice but uh with his big booming voice hail you are highly favored among women blessed are you what in the world i mean no wonder it is absolutely no wonder about the next verse Oh, and by the way, there's only two named angels in the Bible. Do you know their names? 
Michael. That's, by the way, Pam, that's not him, just in case he's trying to lead you astray. Yeah, he might be named after an angel, but that's where it ends. <laughs> Michael, and who's the other one? Gabriel, and that's it. Now, they have names, and, and if you want some extracurricular activity, for those of you bookworms like my son and daughter-in-law, you can go to the book of Enoch, which is not in the Bible. It's, it's an extra book written about the same time, and there's all kinds of names of angels in that book, and I think they're probably legit. So, I digress. But in the Bible, in the canon of 66 books of Scripture, there's only two, and it's Michael, who is the archangel, by the way. <laughs> Sorry, Pam, he's the number one guy in all of angeldom. <laughs> and then Gabriel, and all we know about Gabriel is he must be something else. He must be special if God sends him with this message. But look at the next verse, because this is where I think the Bible gets real. And we get this strange greeting. Verse 29, but when she saw him, I love how neatly the New King James says it, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Now, let me put you in a parenthesis. She, she screamed. <laughs> That's what memory said. She probably just screamed. Troubled as she was terrified, which was the normal response to seeing an angel. We're going to see that over the next three weeks. Everyone just freaks out whenever you see an angel. Um, and so she's troubled, and rightly so. I mean, she's, she is minding her own business. And she is engaged to marry Joseph. And we see that in verses 14 through 18. She is sitting there mapping out her future. She was probably laying there planning her wedding. And all of a sudden, this angel shows up. And he interrupts her plans and her planning. And it was incredibly inconvenient to her. But he did it anyway. And God does that. Listen to me. God is forever interrupting your preferred future. By the way, you know what your preferred future is? There's a word for that. If you read any, any book on leadership, the definition of a preferred future is called your vision. Mary had a vision, and it did not include being the mother of the Messiah. Never entered her mind. It was being the wife of Joseph. That was her vision. That was her preferred future. And this angel comes, and he interrupts all of that. So what's the takeaway? What do we do with that? Well, here it is. What we call interruptions, God calls invitations. And I want you, I'm gonna, I want you to think about that. What we call interruptions are what God sees as invitations. And God invites us to something higher, to something better. I didn't say to something more comfortable. You notice that? I didn't say God invites us to something easier. I said better. So it's not an interruption, which is how we see it. Instead, it's an invitation. And here's the problem. A lot of us, we just, we just shake off God's invitations and we do it by calling them an interruption. We just call it an interruption. And when God wants to do something different and new in our lives, the problem is we don't know how that's going to play out. So when God interrupts us in order to invite us to a new day, we say, no, thank you, because I don't know what that path looks like. And I've got this other one already planned. Can you relate to that? 
I mean, we do. And, it's, and I'm talking to, I'm, primarily, I'm talking to Christians this morning, people who are legit and serious about following Christ and God getting glory from their life. And yet we, listen to me, I do it myself. We hedge our bets at every turn, don't we? We have, uh, God, I can do this much and no more. I can go this far and no farther. And then God bursts into your life, and it looks like an interruption, but I want to challenge you to look at it as an invitation to something better. And by the way, it's not just Mary that this happens to. Have you ever read this book? And it's called the Bible. You ever read that book? There's people in the Bible. It's a one grand story of the redemption of God and his plan for humanity. And God is forever interrupting people and inviting them to something beyond themselves. Look about Moses. What was he doing? Minding his own business in his sheep herding business in the backside of the desert. God interrupts him and says, you know something? I got something better for you. You're finally ready. Right? What about David? David was out, and you'll notice a lot of these involve animals, keeping the sheep. He was the last son. You know, he had the heir, the spare, and David was way down the line, and he really didn't matter, so he was out keeping the sheep, minding his own business. And all of a sudden, his, his brother comes to him, Shemaiah comes to him and says, hey, get home. Dad needs to see you, and the prophet is there. And out of all the sons, the last most, no one would have thought of it, kid ends up being anointed king of Israel. God interrupted David's sheep keeping in order to invite him to be the shepherd of a nation. Are you with me? Whoa, are there some more? I remember a story in there, a historical account about a guy named Jonah. And God slap interrupted his day and said, I got a great idea. How about you go to the Ninevites and tell them to repent? And Jonah said, how about you go fly a kite? Because <laughs> I'm not going to the Ninevites. I hate those people. All right? It was not an interruption. It was an invitation, and it was kind of like the Godfather. It was one that you cannot refuse. Jonah said, I'll show you. God said, okay, go right ahead. And he called up the big fish. You know the rest of the story. Jonah ultimately does what God calls him to do because it wasn't an interruption. It was an invitation that you cannot refuse. What about, if you jump to the New Testament, what about the guy I'm named after, the Apostle Paul? Minding his own business, heading to Damascus to kill some Christians. And he thought he was serving God and doing it. God knocks him off his horse, blinds him, and says, Look, let me interrupt you with an invitation you cannot refuse. Becomes the greatest man to ever live outside of Jesus Christ when it comes to the kingdom of God. You say, Okay, well, what's that got to do with me? Only everything. Only everything. Because God is going to interrupt you one day, and it might be very soon. And it's an invitation that you cannot refuse. And like I said, I don't know how it's going to play out for you. It plays out differently for different people. I'll give you an example of one. I remember one time, I was on a plane. I want to say I was going to California. I was going somewhere out west. I was tired. And, um, you know, they make those, they, they have just shrunk the seating down in planes. Has, has anyone been on a plane recently? It's, it's a mess, isn't it? If, if you're anything bigger than a Smurf, you're going to be seriously uncomfortable in a plane. 
and I was tired, and I'm not going to lie. Oh, I know where I was going. I was going to Phoenix, Arizona, and I was a little bit grumpy. I know it's hard to believe. My wife cannot believe I get tired and grumpy, but I was, and, I, and, and the seat on the outside, I was in the second seat. Window seat was taken, and the outside window was open, or the outside aisle seat was open. I'm like, this is so good. Just take off, and like 15 seconds before takeoff, I see this young lady coming down the aisle. I said, please, God, please don't let her sit in that seat. I mean, she, was, she, she had this multicolored hair, and, and um, I don't know how to say it nicely, but there was a lot more, and they weren't just earrings. There was a lot of things on her face. You know what I'm talking about? And again, I'm not... I'm not, getting, I'm not getting down on that. I'm just saying I was tired, I was cranky, and I didn't want that girl to be sitting there. Where did she sit? Right next to me. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. I just couldn't believe it. And, and boy, she had, she was full of this, uh, us spirit, if you know what I'm saying. Um, she, had, she had been uh, celebrating early, apparently. I'll put it that way. Uh, if you lit a match, I think she would explode from the alcohol vapors coming up. And I thought, good night, what in the world? This is going to be a long, miserable flight, right? So I'm sitting there complaining to God about this not getting the aisle seat because I deserve the aisle seat because I'm the servant of the Lord on the Lord's business. And why would, why, would, why would my Lord not give me the aisle seat? When just, this is playing, God interrupts my plans as if he didn't do it enough with this girl, right? And he says to me, and I want to be careful in saying that. I got the sense that I needed to talk to her. I don't want to say God spoke to me. It wasn't audible. But I got a very strong impression that I needed to talk to her, and it was God interrupting me. And it, I, I looked at it as very inconvenient. It was an interruption. And then it got real specific, because the last thing in the world I want to do is talk to her. Then it got real specific. To the point that through this whole flight, I'm mulling this thing over, and all of a sudden, this message is it's down to like three sentences, and it's clear that I need to share with this young lady. And that's never happened to me before. And I thought that, and I said, that can't be God. That's got to be me. Maybe some of those fumes are affecting me. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that. And so the landing gear come out, and the plane starts going down. I think, well, I don't got much time left, and I don't want to be disobedient. So I start talking to her, introduce myself. And long story short, she tells me that she's running away. She's going to meet up with a guy she met online in California. She's from Georgia. Her father is a pastor. And thankfully, I had not told her what I do yet. Um, and and this, this poor girl's life is just a disaster. And here's what I felt such a strong impression to tell her. Was this. I said, please don't think I'm crazy. But... I really feel like I need to I need to say something to you. She said, "What?" I said, "There's a here it is. There's a lot of voices that you're hearing, but on, but only one of them is God's. And be very very careful of the next few things that you do." And she starts crying. You see, because what I told you is the story backwards. That's the first thing I said to her. I introduced myself, and I said, don't think I'm crazy, but I feel I need to say something to you. And I, sh I laid that on her. And as the plane was coming down into the Phoenix airport, she was in tears, and we were praying. 
And she told me this whole story. She's running away from her parents, going to meet this guy in California. And God interrupted me because he had a change in plans, not for my life, but somebody else's. I don't know how that's going to work out for you. Sometimes they're not that exciting. Sometimes it's just what we feel that God's calling us to do. Whatever it is, I want you to be open and I want you to be aware that God is right around the corner. So let's put ourselves in the real world for a moment. Why are we afraid of God's plans? I think there's, there's basically two reasons. And one is because God's interruptions are often inconvenient. Isn't that true? God's interruptions are often inconvenient. It was very inconvenient for that girl to sit in that seat. It was very inconvenient to do what God was calling Mary to do. Very inconvenient. And because of that, we often just don't do it. And the second one is simply because God's purpose is often different than your plans. God's purpose is often different than your plans. Go back to your text in Luke 1. Let me get over there myself. For some reason, I closed my Bible. I don't know why I did that. Luke chapter 1. Some of you got excited when you saw that. I know how you are. Here's what it says. He tells, the angel tells Mary exactly what's going to happen. And she realized that what God, what we call interruptions, God often sees as invitations. Tells her about this child that she's going to bear. And in verse 30 is what I find interesting. He says to her in verse 30, uh, Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found what? Favor with God. Now, if God's got some favor to give out, I don't know about you, I'd like to get in on some of that. Wouldn't you? Don't we all want the favor of God? I have a neighbor who has a license plate on the front of her car, and it says, Blessed and highly favored. I like that. We all want to have that favor of God in our lives, don't we? And Mary did too, but God said, yeah, this favor is going to come at a price. It's going to be very different than what you think. I don't know what Mary was thinking, but maybe, you know, she's, you know you're highly favored. Maybe she's thinking, oh, I'm going to be the next person on say yes to the dress, or, you know, someone's going to pay for my wedding. That must be what the angel means because these are my, say it with me, plans. So this favor must have something to do with my, say it with me, plans. And God said, no, you know what, I got a, I got a different, say it with me, plan. And you're going to see this as an interruption, but ultimately you're going to realize it's an invitation to something better. She has no idea that God has something very different planned for her. And like I said, we're afraid of God's plans because his interruptions are very inconvenient. This was the not a good time for Mary. And because God's purpose is different from your own plans. Now look at 31 through 33. Imagine this. Verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name what church? Jesus. He will be great and be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be what? No end. No end. So put yourself in Mary's sandals for a minute. As her emotions run the gamut back and forth. 
And God interrupts her with an invitation that destroys her plans but reveals God's purpose. And don't, don't think she missed this. She's a good Jewish girl. Everything in that announcement right there, if you know your history, are titles to the Messiah. She knew exactly what that angel was saying. The people of Israel were begging God to send the Messiah. Matter of fact, you know what the number one name for boys was in Jesus' day? Yahshua comes from the Hebrew Joshua. In the Greek, we call it Jesus. They were all naming their boys Jesus as a faith act that God would send the deliverer. This was front page news. Mary knew exactly what it meant. Everything the angel says was a title to the Messiah. You're going to be his mama. Are you, are you following me? And that interruption that was actually an invitation turned Mary's plans on her heads, on, on its head. She was going to be the mother of the Messiah, but there's a, a lot of things that had to happen first. Number one, how is it going to happen? I'm a virgin. Number two, Who's telling Joseph? How about that one? And I find it a little, can I say this carefully without being blasphemous? I, f I find it a little hard on God's part, the way that unfolds. I mean, that doesn't come till later. He hangs Mary out to dry. To just go tell him on your own. Really? Because like this angel guy, this warrior, scary light guy, how about he comes with me? And he tells him for me. No, and you know what? That happens. Check it out. Later. After she goes to him alone and tells him. Joseph, just want you to know. I'm pregnant. But God is the father. Anybody? Any, guys, you buying that? Any of you? No, and you know what? Joseph was a good guy. He wasn't buying it either. The Bible tells us that. There's so many problems with God's plans, aren't there? And by the way, that's why we're scared of them. That's why we hedge our bets at every corner. So, what we look at, we look at it as a curse. God intends it to be a blessing. Isn't that right? What we look at as a curse, God intends to be a blessing. And then Mary says the obvious in verse 34, she said, how can these things be, seeing I'm a virgin and I know not a man? How is this going to happen? I mean, I know how this works, and I don't see how this is going to work. And what, is the, what does the angel say in verse 35? Look at it in your text this morning. And in verse 35, the angel says something that we all need to hear when God interrupts your day and invites you to something different. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called, what church? The Son of God. You know, you, know, you know what the angel said? God's got this, Mary. God's got this. It's a God-sized job. Nothing is impossible with God. God. You know what? And we say, God, there's no way. And God laughs and says, watch me. I am the way maker. That's what I do. Matter of fact, I'm really good at doing just that. I love impossible. You know why God loves impossible situations? Because sometimes we are so thick 
Sometimes we are so slow to believe that it is only God working through impossible situations that wakes us up to the fact that A, there is a God, B, He is good, and C, He is all-powerful. Sometimes God loves to do the impossible because it's the only way we will come to believe in Him. It's the only way His signature gets on the document of our life and He gets the credit for it. Does that make sense today? At the bottom, at the end of the day, we have to understand that as Christ followers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're going to have these times that God interrupts. And we don't like it. And the next time that happens, the next time God interrupts your life, I want you to ask yourself this question because you heard this today. Wait a minute. Is this an invitation? This is inconvenient. This is scary. But is it, is this an invitation by God to join him for a purpose that is very different from my plans? Could that be what this is? So here's the question, and don't forget this. The Bible makes it clear. Without faith, it is impossible. Everyone say impossible. It's impossible to please God. So it takes faith. It's a God-sized job. So here it is. Let me lay it out for you in your outline this morning. Very important. The whole message boils down to this. As we look back at Mary's life, two questions. What is God asking you to do or to believe. What is it that God is asking you to do or to believe this morning that you find ludicrous? That you find absolutely, utterly impossible? Now, for some of you, you already have the answer. You're writing it down. You, are, you don't even have to think about it. Matter of fact, you came in today thinking about it. It's on your heart. It's on your mind. You can't get it off the forefront of your mind. You wish you could. And that's the very thing. You said, God, you have interrupted my life. And God said, no, I've invited you to something better. Join me. Some of you, you're sitting there thinking, you know, I, I don't really know. I've got to think about that. I've got to pray about that. And it might take the rest of the day or it might take several days or even a week. But could I encourage you to hang with that and keep asking God every day, God, what is it you want me to do or believe that is an interruption but is actually an invitation? Maybe God says, you know, it's time for you to get involved. It's time for you to get off the bench or the pew, as it were. It's time for you to get your hands dirty. Maybe God's asking you to believe a truth that is impossible for you to believe. Maybe God is calling you to do some things that are going to stretch you, that go way beyond your comfort zone. Whatever that looks like, I want you to just step out in faith and agree with God and trust him for the next step. And when you get ready to respond to that, when you get ready to respond to God, as he interrupts your day, as he's interrupted your life and invited you to something better, two things you need to keep always at the forefront of your mind. Vitally important. Number one, outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is yours. Let me say that again. Outcome is God's responsibility. And obedience is yours.
What is God asking you to do or to believe today? I know, I know what's probably going through your mind. You're thinking, well, wait a minute. What's going to happen when I do that? Well, God, what about this? Or, Lord, where's that money going to come from? How am I going to, whatever that is, folks, that's all on God's side of the ledger. That's not your problem. All of those what-if questions, they fall into the responsibility side, not yours, God's. You say, well, then what do I have to do? What he says, just obey Outcome is God's side of the ledger. Obedience is yours. You say, yeah, but I can't do that unless... Oh, that's, that's outcome. That's God's side. Yours is to obey. And sometimes, and I, want, I don't want this to sound light or like it's this is real easy, no biggie. Sometimes you think it'll scare the life out of you, what God is asking you to do. When in reality, it's going to scare the flesh out of you, and that flesh needs to die. And I'm talking to somebody this morning. Your job is to obey. The outcome, that's God's job. And if I left this out, I would not be doing my job. And here it is. If you want to get to that point that you can be like Mary, and here it is. You have to surrender. You got to surrender, just like Mary did. God interrupted her with an invitation to a higher calling. And you know why? Because his purpose was very different than her plans. And you know what, church? Look here. 2,000 years later, we're still talking about her. Do you know how many girls lived and died the same thing? You know how many contemporaries Mary had? Do you know any of them? Do you know any of their names? No. Why? Because as far as we know, Mary's the only one who saw an interruption as an invitation, and she surrendered to God's purpose over her plans. And we're still talking about her 2,000 years later. She made an impact that is lasting. And notice verse 38. I think it's the key. It's the key to how you pull this thing off with any hope whatsoever. 38, then Mary said, so she gets this whole message, and the angel has just said, hey, Mary, for with God, how much is impossible, church? Nothing, because outcome is whose responsibility? God's. Is it possible with you? Nope. Is it possible with God? Yes. Nothing's impossible. That's on God's ledger. So the angel just tells her this. Don't forget, Mary. Here's how it's going to go down, but don't worry about it, because God can do anything. Okay, but here it is. Here it is. Look at this response. Verse 38. Then Mary said, Behold. In other words, look at me. Behold, the maidservant of God. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Okay, we read that and it means nothing. What's a maidservant? I don't know what a maidservant is. I know what a maid is. I know what a servant is. What's a maidservant? It's a slave. It's a female slave. What did Mary say? Angel, look at me. I'm not. I belong to God. And all of my plans belong to God. I am his slave. I'm the property of Jehovah. God owns me. 
And whatever he wants, bring it. That's modern vernacular, but that's what she's saying. May it be to me just exactly as you said, even though that means the death of my plans. And it did. It meant the death of her plans. Think about this. If she'd have said no, we would never know about her. She would have gone. She would have disappeared from history and mattered for nothing. But she said, you know what it was? Here it is. Mary knew who she was, but more importantly, she knew whose she was. She knew her identity. I belong to him. He's wiser than me. So whatever you said, I'm open. And then the angel leaves and doesn't show up and lets her tell Joseph, alone. And you know what she said? Well, forget it. I'm quitting. No. God, I'm your servant. Outcome is your responsibility. I'm going to be obedient. Joseph can have me executed. But he doesn't. Because he's a good man, the Bible says. And he's going to get a private divorce. And he's going to maintain her dignity. Take her out of the city. And then, after Joseph has made, you ready for this? His plans. <laughs> you with me? Then the angel shows up and says, oh, hey, hi, Joe. By the way, you're going to marry her. <laughs> and she's not crazy. She's telling the truth. Wow. And Joseph said, well, what are people going to think? I'll tell you about that next week. Let me close with this. I'm just like you. That's why I love this message, because I'm all over it, and it's all over me. I'm scared to death of God's plans most of the time. Because his purpose and my plans often look nothing alike. And I had to come to the point in my life where I realized that God's plans are better. God's purpose is better than my plans. Does it mean easier? No. I'm not going to lie to you. Most of the times, it's the other way around. Because God is more interested in my character, his glory, than he is my comfort and my own fame. And I close with this. For some of you, I know, you're sitting there and you're hedging your bets. And what's running through your mind right now are all the yeah buts. Yeah but, yeah but, what about? That's all on God's side of the ledger. I want to close by giving you one more encouragement to trust that God's purpose is way better than our puny plans. There was a little girl who was at the grocery store with her mom and put 25 cents in one of those little bubble gum things. And out of it came a little ball, and inside the ball was a set of plastic pearls, plastic pearl necklace. And that little princess of a girl fell in love with those fake pearls. I mean, she just thought they were the cat's meow. But it wasn't long. She wore them every day. She'd wear them to bed, and she wouldn't even take them off. She thought they looked so beautiful. After about two days, they didn't look so beautiful anymore. All the shine was off them, and they started turning a dingy color, and they started turning her neck green, and she still wouldn't take them off. So finally one night, her daddy was putting her to bed, and the wife said, we got to do something about that. So daddy was putting her to bed one night, and he said, he said, Baby, do you love me? She goes, oh, Daddy, I love you so much. He said, would you give me your pearls? And she put her hand to those pearls. She said, oh, Daddy, I love these pearls. 
I can't give them to you. The next night, same story. He gets down to her bedside and said, do you love me? Daddy, you know I love you. Would you give me your pearl? No, Daddy, don't ask me that. The third night, she didn't even want him to put her to bed, didn't want him in the room because he knew what she was going to ask, and he asked anyway. And the conversation kept getting shorter and shorter, and she began to view her father as a problem, getting in the way of that which she loved. This went on for five days. And finally, on day number six, that good daddy put that girl to bed and said, Baby, do you love me? And she just took the pearls and took them off and handed them to him. She wasn't very happy about it. She said, Here, daddy, I love you. And that good daddy put those pearls in his pocket, out of his back pocket. He pulled out a velvet box. And he said, baby, I love you more than you could ever know. And he opened that velvet box and revealed to her a beautiful strand of authentic pearls. And he said, honey, I just wanted you to give me the fake pearls so I could give you the real thing. And I want to ask you today, what fake pearls are you hanging on to? that you think are the answer for your life that's better than what God has. Could I encourage you to trust your Father's heart and know that His purpose is way better than your pearls. Father, I come to you today. You love your people. We're your children. And we are, some of us are clutching some plastic pearls. <laughs> they're our plans. And we think they're so amazing and we're so frustrated that you won't put your stamp of approval on them and that you keep interrupting our lives when actually it's an invitation to join you. May this day be the day that somebody in this room surrenders their pearls and their plans to you. And embarks on a journey of purpose that will make their life meaningful. And more importantly, bring you glory and fame. Lord, there may be someone here who doesn't even know you. And maybe today you would reveal Jesus to them. Maybe this is the day that they realize that they need to have a relationship with you. They need their sins forgiven. And then only Jesus can do that. Maybe right now someone is saying, Father, I, I give you the plans for my life. And I accept Jesus as the one who has paid for my sin. I give you myself. Whatever it might be, Lord, I pray that you would work in the hearts of your people today. And you would do it for their glory. For your glory and for our gain. Because at the end of the day, your glory is our gain. And your purpose far surpasses our plans. Convince us of that. In Jesus' name, amen.